Church, would you join me as we pray for these women, as we pray for our teaching time today? God, we are so grateful for the ways that you, your spirit works through us. God, and when we are obedient, how amazing it is, the fruit that comes from that. God, I pray that we would be just um, motivated, excited, encouraged, even challenged by these women who have just um, accomplished amazing things, Lord. God, we ask um, also as our young heroes and our graduates are honored, Lord, they are all giving us such hope, such hope to continue to do your work, Lord. As we'll talk about this morning, it's not easy to do the work that you've called us to do. We need strength. We need courage. But God, we are so grateful that your promises are true. Your promises are trustworthy. Your promises are ever uh, with us, God. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would help us to be open and understanding this morning as we hear your word, hear specifically your promises that you have for us today. So, God, will you continue uh, just to be present with us, and may you be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, church, right now we're in a series called Summer Jams, and this, it's a good series, right? I mean, we've only had one so far, and it was awesome, huh? I know. <laughs> and um, this series really celebrates summer, Cele- ce- celebrates that summer is here, praise God, that summer is the perfect time for us to connect with our neighbors. Summer provides us this unique opportunity really to have fun and share our faith. Summer Jams is also a series about where we want to consider the unique privilege it is to live in and to serve our city and neighborhood. Summer Jams is hopefully it will help us to consider how we are more faithful as disciples of Jesus Christ here in the Twin Cities as well as specifically here in North Minneapolis. Now last Sunday, Pastor Edron started us off with the classic hit, Summertime. And he even showed us his hidden talent for rapping, which is amazing, right? And I know what you're thinking. No, I'm not going to rap this morning. I'm sorry. (laughs) Not going to happen. Won't even sing for you. But I hope that um, as his sermon really highlighted God's love, deep love for the city, for God's people, he challenged us, he encouraged us to, to see our city as God sees it and to join God in this work of transformation here in the city. Today we're going to continue to look at how God views the city and we're going to focus on God's promises for the city. Because of great, God's great love for the city, what does God promise to do here? Our song today is Here Comes the Sun, performed by the Beatles. And lead guitarist and the one known as the Quiet Beatle, George Harrison, he wrote the song. And he wrote it on uh, one spring afternoon at Eric Clapton's house, actually, where Harrison was playing hooky from work one day. And he was getting tired of the day-to-day kind of business part of show business. And it was during a difficult part of his life. And Harrison wrote this song about relief. Relief. This is a song about relief. For us in Minnesota, we can relate deeply to this song. Amen? (laughs) Yes. Lines like, little darling, it's been a long, cold, lonely winter. It feels like years since it's been here. Here comes the sun. 
I feel that ice is slowly melting. Amen. Here comes the sun, and it's all right. It's all made right. So this song is not just about relief, but it encompasses a promise. A promise that while the cold, the snow, the ice, it feels as though it's going to be lasting forever, the sun will come, things will feel warm and right again. And I believe that this song and dialogue with our text today, which is Isaiah 40, it reminds us the deep and the simple yet deep, profound truth that God's promises are true and trustworthy, amen, and God has specific promises for the city. So that's our big point this morning, is that God's promises are true and trustworthy, and God has specific promises for the city. So I've entitled today's sermon, Here Comes the Sun, God's Promises for the City. Because church, we're going to see in Isaiah 40, God's deepest desires for the city and the people in it. So I won't read the entire chapter of Isaiah 40 because it is a little bit longer, but I'll read some sections of it as we go along. And I hope today that I can paint a picture of what this passage is about, what it looks like and means for us today, as well as specifically what it means for us here in North Minneapolis. But church, I want to pause before we start. I want to pause before we get into the text and its meaning for us today, and I want to share a pastoral invitation today. Can I do that? And this is more of a uh, pastoral invitation to my fellow white brothers and sisters, because family, we have made the commitment that we want to be a part of the sanctuary, this urban, multi-ethnic church that seeks to make and deepen disciples who then uplift justice in the world. That's what we're about. And we know that we need to name clearly the ways that we have been discipled that actually hinder justice, or even ways that we've been discipled that even perpetuate injustice. And as I've been on this faith formation journey with you, I've really pictured it in my mind as this. I pictured it in my mind as this intentional and holy faith reformation. A reformation to name and to unlearn certain practices and beliefs that are contrary to God's intention and even what the Bible uh, doesn't actually say or teach. So with that being said, for many of us white evangelical Christians, we've been taught to view our faith as hyper-individualistic. It's been my faith walk and what God says to me. And for many of us, that we've been discipled to see that the only community that's present in our devotion time is me, myself, and I. Many of us, many of us have take a text in our devotion time and we are largely concerned with the question, what does this mean for me? And church, that's not a bad question. I'm not saying that's a bad question, but let me be very clear. The Bible was written to communities. It was written and heard in community. It was discussed and discerned in community, and then it was acted on in community. And the practice of Bible study that we must employ as a multi-ethnic church like ours, and something that our black and brown brothers and sisters certainly can teach us, is that when we read the Bible, we should ask, what does this mean for us? 
What does this mean for our family, our community, our people, our city? And that's not to say that our personal faith uh, isn't important, because it is. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that we cannot get stuck believing our faith is only an individual relationship. And I say all of this because I hope that we can ask the question of what this text means for us in a specific way together. Instead of asking what it means for me, I want to challenge us to ask. As disciples of Jesus Christ living in the city, as we worship here in North Minneapolis, a place that has historically and presently been oppressed by oppressive dominant powers, what does this text mean for us as we join God in the work of transforming the city? Can we try that? Let's try that this morning. Well, this, our song this morning uh, says over and over again, it talks about the sun. And this song, the sun itself is both a physical sun that warms us in the summertime. The sun is also figurative. It's the object of relief for those who are weary from those long, cold winter months. And in the book of Isaiah, the prophet's words are as much about the people in the text as it is the place they find themselves in. People and place are very important themes for Isaiah. And the prophet begins um, by giving this vision of Zion. And in our song this morning, Zion is really the sun, both a literal place and a figurative vision. Zion encompasses Judah and Jerusalem, the city collective of people, a place where God inhabits, but also where, the, where God's vision of restoration, of transformation, occupies itself. So Zion is both a geographical location of the city, but it's also the place where heaven meets earth. It's the spiritual embodiment of the kingdom lived out in the physical world. Zion, the city, is a place of refuge and inclusion. Zechariah 8, 4, and 5 gives us this beautiful image of the young and the old playing together in the streets of the city of Zion. It's a place that would be playful and free. It's a place that's secure. It won't be destroyed or damaged. Zion is a place where God inhabits, and as such, Zion is the place where justice and peace reign as central characteristics. Now, while I don't want to extract too much from the intended context of this passage today, I do want to suggest that Zion is both the sun in our song today, and Zion is the city, our city today. It's an image for us today of what God desires Minneapolis to be. God's vision and desires that the city is a place of refuge and peace. It's marked by justice and inclusion. The people who dwell in it worship God. The city is a welcoming place to the stranger. This is the vision that the prophet is describing at the, at the beginning of Isaiah 1. But the reality of life for the Jewish people in our text today is far from this idyllic Zion which prompts our first promise today. We'll talk about three promises today. And the first promise is God promises comfort for the city. Now the Beatles sang about the reality of winter. Again, it's long, it's cold, it's lonely. We know that. 
In Isaiah 40, the Jewish people were in that very place. They were in this long, dreary, isolated place as a people. Now from Isaiah 39 to Isaiah 40, there's a lot that's happening in between just these chapters. And the tone of each are completely different. In Isaiah 39, the people are in this long winter. It talks about destruction and domination of the oppressive Babylonians, whom the Jewish people are, will suffer under greatly as they're in exile. In Isaiah 39, it ends by saying that the people will be carried to Babylon. They will be taken away, and they'll be servants of the king there. So between Isaiah 39 and Isaiah 40, many years have passed and many significant events have taken place. In between these chapters, devastating events have happened. The people are forcibly removed from their home, their beloved home and city. The rise of Babylon happens, the death of their good King Josiah, massive destruction of the entire establishment of Jerusalem, the city itself and the temple are destroyed. And even the very identity of the people is diminished. So the city, both literal and figurative, is in ruins. And here in chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, God breaks the silence. After many years of suffering, God brings relief and comfort to the people. Isaiah 40, chapter, um, uh, verses 1 and 2 says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The Jewish people experiencing the long, cold, lonely winter of both, of both their rejection of God and the plight of their exilic status find relief and comfort from God. And God's comfort to the people is to bring justice and obedience to the city again, to bring hope and wholeness. God promises comfort to the city but it might be easy for us today to think of comfort as, as only an emotional kind of term. But in Hebrew, comfort is connected to action. It's connected to action with this consequential change of a situation. Rarely in the Old Testament does comfort mean what we think it means, what we often understand it to be, sympathizing with sorrow with someone. Instead, the Hebrew word of comfort is a comfort of sorrow, but it brings an end to the sorrow and pain. It's a word that's a word of relief and comfort to the people, just like our song today, Here Comes the Sun, it's a comfort. So uh, for us urban Minnesotans, summer brings relief. We've survived the long winter months. We're ready to enjoy those few weeks of hot summer temps. And we act differently because the summer revives us, doesn't it? One thing I love to do in the city in the summer is connecting with my neighbors. Now, while we live so close to one another, it seems as though, you know, of course in the winter we rarely see each other. So the summer is that unique time for block parties, play dates with neighborhood kids. It's a time to delight in summer. The summer is also a perfect time to build those deeper relationships with our neighbors in really intentional ways. 
In particular, we had one neighbor just a few houses down from us that we're so close to. We got to know them as we both had children about the same age. Our kids grew up and played together almost every single day in the summer. We celebrated birthdays together. We had many dinners and meals together. We built a deep friendship, especially over those summer days and summer nights. But about nine months ago, they shared really hard news with us that they were moving. We were so sad. And the out-of-state move was prompted by some really deep and hurtful things that were happening in their marriage, and we were grieving with them, grieving at the loss of, of their marriage and their friendship. And as the months went along, uh, before they moved, my friend found herself deeper in crisis in her marriage. And thankfully, in a time of need, she reached out for us. She needed a ride to the emergency room while her daughter was sleeping in the middle of the night. We were able to come over and help and help in other ways. We helped with tangible um, needs that she had, emotional comfort, caring for her daughter. But I share this story not as a way to pat ourselves on the back for our response, but instead I really want to highlight my neighbor's response, that my neighbor asked for help. How hard is it, church, to ask for help when we need it? Mm, thank you. It's hard. And I don't know about you, but because of my need to plan and control, and also because I have a little bit of anxiety, <laughs> I can find myself in these moments where I am just imagining, who can I call on if something happens? And I know that I'm not alone in those late night wonderings when you wake up and you think, oh my gosh, this terrible emergency thing is going to happen and what am I going to do? Who am I going to ask to help me? Please say, anyone else ever experience this? Yes. So a frequent one for me is I'm laying in bed. I'll think, okay, what if in the middle of the night something happens to my husband and for some reason, you know, I have to go to the hospital with him or whatever and I have to leave our girls there. And I think not so much about the situation itself. Instead, I'm asking, who are the people I trust? Who are those people who can give relief and comfort when I need it the most? Do you ever ask that question? Yes. So in that situation, I'm, again, I'm not thinking about the situation itself. I'm asking, who are the people? Who do I trust who have I built relationship with? Who knows my girls? Who's a safe person when I need that tangible comfort? And I share this story about my neighbor in this middle of the night wondering to show that when people need comfort, they're not asking for someone who will provide this perfectly scripted words of care. That's what I used to think it meant. And I tried to have like the perfect thing ready to say. But instead, they're asking, who do I have meaningful relationships with? Who is dependable in my life? Who is engaged in my life? Because church, we know that there are significant needs around us, that our neighbors need us. We need our neighbors. And as Christ followers, to be uh, people with whom that they can call on in a time of comfort, our neighbors need us to build that deep relationship with in their most vulnerable moments so they can call on us so they can think of us as safe and non-judgmental caring and engaged neighbors who give comfort so we're called to embody God's comfort and relief in our community 
As our first promise says that that God brings relief and comfort to the city, we can bring comfort and relief to the city. In chapter 40, God's vision of Zion is the city, the city that's comforted and restored. Zion is the little darling in our song this morning. The city is God's beloved, and God desires that, that we can provide tangible comfort and restoration to the city, which is our second promise for this morning, that God promises restoration of the city. In Isaiah 40, verses 9 through 10, the people hear this great announcement of restoration for them and their city. And it says, You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, Here is your God. See, The sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. This section is, um, the prophet is really suggesting something dangerous and risky. The prophet is telling the watchmen to announce to the Jewish people and the Babylonians a new reality. Behold your God. Here is your God. This proclamation means that the Jews will no longer be dominated and controlled in exile, that no longer they they will see their city destroyed and uh, the people suffering. No longer will Babylonians hold the power. No longer will the Jews be without their identity and community. But now the prophet makes a declaration of restoration. It's also a very real and radical political statement. Behold your God. And it's easy for us to read those words, this proclamation, very casually today. But this is a very subversive announcement that the prophet is declaring. We should imagine that he says this not with ease, but with fear and trembling. Fear to even comprehend that transformation can happen in that time and place. That something new can happen in this place that is void of hope and justice. This pronouncement is risky to say in earshot of the Babylonians, of those in power, that God would rule and not the Babylonians. That's a clear dismissal of their corrupt power. And for the Jewish people, it's also a wake-up call. The Jewish people were so numb to the fact that they were living in this pain and despair that they become accustomed to despair. And hope seemed foolish. That's why the prophet is saying over and over, return to your God. Don't you see? You're stuck in this despair. And the prophet, like in our song this morning, is asking the people to return the smiles to their faces, to be filled with hope once again, even if it seems foolish. The prophet is telling the people in despair that God can mend what is broken, and God promises to restore. The people have forgotten And the prophet is declaring what's possible with God. And as the smiles return to their faces, to the people, as the people recall once again the goodness of God, the possibility of restoration, they reclaim their power as God's people. They are redefining reality that is now steeped in hope instead of steeped in despair. So one of my questions this morning for us, church, is are we steeped in hope 
Or are we steeped in despair? Isaiah 40, verses 9 through 10, redefines a hopeless reality. It's that God will restore the city. So are our neighbors so numb by the injustice that's placed around them? Are they numb to the despair? Have we become so numb to injustice around us that we don't even have a vision of hope anymore? Frederick Buechner says, no matter how much the world shatters us to pieces, we carry inside us a vision of wholeness that we sense is our true home and that beckons us. I believe that Frederick Buechner reminds us, like the prophet declaring restoration, that we also need a vision, a vision of wholeness, of restoration that can guide us. But like the long, cold, lonely winter that the Beatles sang about, in working for justice, we can easily find ourselves tired, weary, cynical. We believe God's promises are true. We believe God loves justice. But we also know God's promises are not a magical wand that makes everything bad disappear instantly. The work is hard. The work is long. Has your vision of restoration and justice for the city been waning? Can you recall years ago when you had this vision so clear and this motivation so high of restoration and justice for the city, but now, after years of working towards it, cynicism for actual change has set in? As our song says today, the smiles are returning to their faces. Church, how do we need to restore that smile, restore that hope for transformation for an equitable and just city? Our final promise today will hopefully renew our strength, return the smiles to our faces, and God's promise, that God's promise to right injustice. Isaiah 40, uh, verses 27 through 31, holds our final promise from God in our passage today. It says, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow weary or tired. In his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar, like we said in our uh, song this morning. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This final passage, uh, section of our passage, portrays a God who never tires in doing right and bringing justice. Never tires. And we see God's justice specifically in verse 29. And I'm going to read it from the NRSV translation. It says, he gives power to the faint and he strengthens the powerless. Church, this is an example of what's called an inversion. An inversion is something that's really um, common throughout scripture and it helps us to understand the peculiar ways of God. That in God's economy, the mighty aren't the ones who remain in power and strength, but it's the weak and the powerless who will be giving status and power. Amen. This inversion reminds me of the words of Jesus 
in the gospel according to Luke, where he, Jesus says these radical and perspective-shifting statements. Things like Luke 9, 24, whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Thank you. Or in Luke 13, 30, some are last who will be first, and some who are first will be last. And also Luke 14, 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Oh, amen. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. God's writings, the wrong in our world, is near and dear to God's heart. It is an integral part of God's character. It is central to God's vision for the city. But restoration can't happen without justice. And justice in our world that upsets these power dynamics that are so firm in place, they cannot happen without courage and strength. And we can't get that courage and strength on our own. Amen? Amen. The prophet says over and over again that we need strength from God who never tires, who never tires and who endlessly seeks justice. And this is the work that we um, often need God to renew our strength. Our song today says, here comes the sun, it's all right. Again, if the sun is Zion, the city, us, then we're here to join God in doing what is right and restoring what is broken. But that's not easy in our unjust world, church. We know that. It is no small task, and we will surely be misunderstood and even denied in this work. Brene Brown recently posted um, a Henry Nouwen quote on social media, and it says this, The three big lies, I am what I have, I am what I do, I am what other people say about me. Now I can imagine we all struggle with these. I believe we need to understand how all of these three big lies can control us, how they even thwart the ways in which we're a faithful, uh, dedicated disciple. They all perpetuate strongholds, especially those that maintain the status quo. But I believe in our final point today that in joining God's work and the work of justice in the city that the last lie is the one we need to focus on the most this morning, to expose that I am what other people say about me. Because the work of justice for, for, with God is not easy. It's especially not easy in today's society and political reality. Both political parties have so distorted justice that we have to intentionally remember what true justice looks like from God's perspective. Amen? And I believe, church, that unfortunately in today's society, we have so misunderstood our call as Christians that when we, are, we say that we are for the compassion of the least of these, it's actually interpreted as a partisan statement instead of God's truth. That when we're working for justice in today's world, generosity is going to be seen as enabling people. Peace is going to be seen as weakness. And truth-telling church is simply optional in our world today. We are called to be all of these things, but if we stick up for them, we know we're going to be denied by some, right? So my question, are we so consumed by what others say or label us as that we can't fearlessly imagine the work that it is to see the city restored? 
Are we so paralyzed because we politicize compassion in our world? I want us to courageously work towards this new vision of the city, this new vision that includes deliverance from drug addiction, housing for the homeless, welcome to the stranger, resourcing the poor church, healing the traumatized, liberating the wrongly incarcerated. And church, humanizing the people of our city, which should not be labeled as partisan rhetoric, but God's intent for creation. We have distorted these so much. I think often we're paralyzed to extend compassion on our world. If Zion is the place where people are cared for and they're welcomed, where they're restored and they're not seen as a commodity, that our vision of this restored and just city, it demands, church, that we have a fearless vision of compassion. But the reality is our faith will at times be a political statement as long as our, church, our, as our society is guided by power for some at the expense of many. Church, I want to say clearly that no, neither side has it right. This is not an endorsement for one party and a condemnation to the other. Church, this is an indictment on the whole system. And church, we need strength. We need strength, as our passage says, from God to do what is right as we right the wrongs in our world. That we need courage to do what's unpopular. Today, I began this message, church, with an invitation that we would not read the Bible only individually, but also communally. So sanctuary, what is our vision with God for the city? What does Zion, the city, comforted, restored, and made right, look like here at this intersection here? What reversals of power are needed to make our systems and our society just? God wants to do something impossible in our city. He promises it. And how terrible it is when we do it in our own strength. How terrible and even arrogant it is to think that we can do it on our own. If the city is where heaven and earth meet, then how are we asking God to strengthen us for this work toward our vision? That's my question for us, church. How are we seeking God's strength? What does that vision look like as we work towards that together? As we begin to conclude, I want to invite the band to come up as we conclude. I wonder, Sanctuary, as we continue to catch God's vision of this city, this restored, transformed city, what would it look like for us to continue to have an asset-based mindset of our neighborhood? An asset-based mindset that looks at our neighborhood and joins God in what God is already doing and comforting restoring, righting the wrongs of our city so that we can truly, church, truly become this beloved Zion of God, the little darling. Can we become what Pastor Edrin preached and challenged us in Isaiah 65 last Sunday, this new city? Isaiah calls us, uh, Isaiah 40 calls us to envision this new city. And as we do that, God is making specific promises to us this morning. God promises that God will comfort the city, 
that God will restore the city, that God will right injustice in the city. So church, I'm just so grateful that we can continue to do this work, continue to work towards that vision. And as our song says, here comes the sun, that it's a reminder in Isaiah 40 that God brings comfort and restoration. God makes things right and that we can be a part of being that sun that delights in that little darling, the city. So church, if you come this morning, we're going to continue in worship. As you, If you come this morning in need of prayer, our prayer team is going to be up here this morning. I want to invite you to come. If you need someone to bring words of comfort, a comforting prayer, please come forward. We'd love to join you in that. And church, I want to invite you to stand this morning. In church, as God continues to speak through us communally, let's continue to catch and see this vision that God has for the city, that God has specific promises for the city. And let's join God in that work and worship God this morning.